Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. In anticipation of the inevitable speculation which will follow this announcement, I want to put our policy in the clearest possible context. Our action in seeking a new relationship with the People's Republic of China will not be at the expense of our old friends. There is an old Vulcan proverb. Only Nixon can go to China. History is strange. It's alien. And it won't give us what we would like to have. It's our third hour of a Tuesday morning, the last day of February 2023. Nice to have you along with us on 92.7 FM WMMB. It is uh, our hour of the week that we devote to history. This may be a little more current history than we normally dive into, and I'm looking forward to this. Dave Bowman joins us from Silverdale, Washington, and uh, we'll get to phone calls in our final segment of the hour, but we want to dig into this history and see what Dave has for us today. Like I said, Dave, a little more current than uh, we might normally dive into, but I'm looking forward to this. It ought to be fun. A tad more current, and yet at the same time, half a century old. It is the Old, you had to remind me of that part, didn't you? <laughs> old enough that once upon a time, someone said, there's an old Vulcan proverb about the very thing we're going to talk about, which is that goes like this. Only Nixon could go to China. I love it when you can incorporate Star Trek into what we talk about. That's very well done. When we were kids, Bill, and you were probably, you're, you're what, five years older than I am. But when we, were, like that, yeah. when we were kids in the late 60s, where was China? We mean, where was China? Where they've always been. Well, but were they? What, all of our toys were stamped with one of two things, made in the Republic of China or made in Taiwan. Right, yeah. Remember that? And that was China. Under U.S. policy, mainland China essentially didn't exist. That's true. It was, it we was had no relationship whatsoever. None Correct. whatsoever. It was, it was non-existent. And so our national policy was there's only one China. And it's the Republic of China, or as we call it today, Taiwan, which is, you know, a strange thing to people today. They don't really, they, they see what's going on in the news and they don't really grasp why any of this matters. Joe Biden, the president, came out last week in an interview and was asked point blank, did he think that the Chinese, now referring to the, you know, the People's Republic of China, the, the Communist Chinese. Which would, you refer to as West Taiwan. West yes. Taiwan is what I call it, yeah. 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 Um, mostly because I like to annoy Mr. Xi, uh, Winnie the Pooh. He was asked, did he think that China would help Russia in Ukraine? In other words, providing weapons and the likes of that. Now, the reason he was asked that question was because the Secretary of State, a guy by the name of Anthony Blinken, who basically nobody's heard of, had said earlier in the week that China was going to do exactly that. China was planning to send weapons and ammunition to Russia to be used in Ukraine. And, of course, anytime you start talking about China, the United States government has this, like, twitch that it goes into because it doesn't, it doesn't really want to acknowledge what China you're talking about. Biden has asked his question, and he says, no, I don't think they're going to. There's no sign of that, I think, is his exact words. There's no indication that they're going to do that. And then he turns around an hour later and says, but if they do, there will be consequences. Now, all of this happens while Taiwan, the Republic of China, sits across the Taiwanese Strait and watches as yesterday, 
The United States flies airplanes through the Taiwan Straits, which is international waters, mm -hmm. unless you happen to live in Beijing. They claim that they're not international waters because Taiwan is part of China and you can't be here. So we're sliding into this, you know, in your face, almost war attitude towards towards mainland China. And it all comes about because a long time ago, we weren't sure who was who and we knew who our friends were. We knew who our enemies were. But then our enemies became the enemies of our enemies. And what's the old era proverb? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. And Dick Nixon saw that and went, hey, I have an idea. And we'll be back in just 60 seconds. Dave does history on Bill McLeod. Chateau Madeline, one of our sponsors on Bill McLeod. And uh, if you're looking for an alternative living situation for a senior loved one in your life, you don't want to miss taking a look at Chateau Madeline. It is resort-style senior living and memory care. You can see it online, SuntreeSeniorLiving.com. They are centrally located in Brevard County in Suntree. But better yet, go take a tour because as much as I knew and, and felt I knew about Chateau Madeline by looking at the website, by talking with Eric Hardoon, their executive director, and the folks at Chateau Madeline, until I went and saw it in action, you're, you'll be more impressed than you can imagine. 321-701-8000. Amenities like you'd find on a cruise ship or a resort. Eric brought that to Chateau Madeline from the hospitality industry where he had worked previously. And whether it's senior living or memory care, it's a real beautiful home, a place where life can get better with first-class nursing care. 321-701-8000. Take a tour of Chateau Madeline. Your senior loved one deserves a home like this. Dave Bowman with us as Dave does history on Bill McLive. Dave, where are we sitting now? So in 1971, Bill, the world was a much different place. You and I can both attest to this. The, the, the world of 1971, it, I don't know that you could even explain it to kids today. It was just. Well, they don't know what it's like to think about being drafted and sent to Vietnam. And when you see your older friends going and doing that, some of them return, some of them don't. And either way, they return differently. Yeah. It was, I mean, just culturally, it was a different world. I mean, the music was different. It was way better. Um, but yeah. as a general rule of thumb, you didn't have the connectivity that you have today. In 1971, it was possible to travel in secret and nobody would know who you were. You, you could go and just disappear and people would not only not know you were missing, they wouldn't care. And this is what happened when Henry Kissinger, who was the secretary of state under Richard Nixon in 1971. And let me just say this as an aside. Uh, Henry Kissinger is the most boring person since Nathaniel Hawthorne to speak English. I, mm. I can't stand to listen to Henry. He just drives me insane. But anyway, in 1971, he started disappearing for days on end and nobody noticed. But it turns out, Bill, that he was going to China, the People's Republic of China, which at the time had that gotten out would have been a major, major controversy in the United States because we did not recognize the People's Republic of China as even existing, let alone worthwhile of any diplomatic efforts whatsoever. But over the course of a year in 1971, Henry Kissinger made several trips to, to the People's Republic of China where he met with Zhou Enlai and others to discuss Issues of mutual interest 
between the United States and China. Now, what we don't know is that, because nobody pays any attention to this stuff, is that in 1969, the People's Republic of China, Communist China, and the Soviet Union, which had been ideologically united, had a major split between the two of them. So the two biggest communist countries in the world had a disagreement over what it meant to be communist. What is the goal of communism? And the Soviets were particularly appalled that Mao Zedong, the leader of communist China, was, in their words, very nonchalant about the potential use of nuclear weapons. That he was just open to, I got a billion people, what do I care? I'm going to throw nukes around and that's the way it's going to be. And this created a lot of stress and a lot of tension between the Soviets and the Chinese that actually erupted into a shooting war along the Chinese-Russian border that did not get a lot of reporting. It still doesn't today. People don't talk about the fact that Russia and China were essentially at war in 1968-1969. But Nixon took note of this because, of course, he gets you know daily intelligence briefings every day. He takes note of this and says, here is an opportunity to pry these two communist countries apart. If we can find some mutual interests, we're not going to find them with the Soviet Union because, you know, they're, they're the Klingons, they're, they're the bad guys. But we might find them with the Chinese. We might find them with the communist Chinese. And so he sent Kissinger over there. These meetings started. And in the middle of 1971, I believe around July, I don't quote me on that date, but right around the middle of July, they issued a invitation. Zhou Enlai invited Dick Nixon to come to China to meet and talk about issues of mutual interest. And this was, this was just, I mean, it was front page news everywhere. They, the White House had to actually issue a statement because it was so, I, I, I don't think we can even get our heads around how controversial this was because we were very closely tied with Taiwan. And now all of a sudden we're meeting with Taiwan's enemies. And Dick Nixon actually had to go on television and read a statement saying, we're going to meet with the Chinese. We're going to talk about issues of mutual interest. And let me say this, he goes on, this isn't about, you know, we can be friends with China and not betray our other friends. We're going to do this in a way that anybody that wants to be our friend can be. And we think that there are issues of mutual interest between us and communist China that necessitate our meeting. So we're going to do that. And that's why he accepted the invitation in, in late or mid-1971, which then led to his February trip of 1972 to Peking, China, where he would meet with Mao Zedong. Anzhou in lie. Nixon, more of a foreign policy guy than he might have gotten credit for previously. I think, I think very much so. Um, mm -hmm. Subsequent events, you know, kind of screwed things up. But, but I think had he had those things not happened, he probably goes down in history as a very good foreign policy president. Yeah, I'm thinking you're right. We'll learn more about it as we do. Dave does history on Bill McLive. Our relationship with West Taiwan and 
where it's at now. We continue in moments right here on WMMB. Hey, this is Whitey. And this is Hank. And you can listen to our podcast, Two Pint Talk, on all your favorite podcast sources. So come check it out where we talk about two beers and, and everything stuff. <laughs> listen to Two Pint Talk on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dave Does History, our weekly journey through the Wayback Machine. Dave Bowman is with us on Bill Mick Live. Headline at BillMick.com today for the show page. They're watching you. We started that in our first hour. It'll continue into tomorrow's show, I believe. As uh, Dave and I are taking a look at more recent history than we normally do, Dave. And uh, this going back to... Within our lifetimes, we, we could quantum leap this. We could go back and be these characters in quantum leap, right? You know, you were asking the question the other day about when are we part of history? Yeah, well, we were a part true. of this. So, and many of your listeners were as well, I'm sure. Oh, most certainly. Yeah, there's no doubt. So Nixon's been invited to China and there's a brouhaha about it. There, there actually isn't a brouhaha. There's a lot of, um, a lot of discussion because of the way he handles the announcement in which he explains that, yeah, I'm going to go talk to China. But this doesn't mean that we're we're abandoning Taiwan, which, of course, China's position is there's only one China. So if you're going to be friends with us, you can't be friends with them. So it's it's kind of like, well, what are we, what's the point of all this? But but they, too, saw mutual interest here that could be beneficial to them and us. They saw mutual interests, but not the same mutual interests. Um mm. As it turns out, Kissinger going over the Kissinger met for 25 hours with Zhou Enlai and others in, in China and never, ever, ever, not once did he use a translator because he was concerned that the translator, if he used one, would leak all this stuff to the media, including the fact that he was in China. So he never used a translator. So who understood what is kind of the question. Yes, they're looking for mutual interests. But Zhou Enlai also wants to include, in whatever agreement is reached, the areas of disagreement. He wants it on the table that there's only one China. And, of course, the United States doesn't want to do that. But he sees Kissinger as very, well, Kissinger sees this, this discussion about we want it, the areas of disagreement as well, as very open and very honest on the part of the Chinese. And he's very impressed with that. But, okay. dun, dun, dun. A guy by the name of Alexander Haig, anybody remember him? <laughs> I'm in charge here. Gets involved with this thing and starts running How his mouth. How does Haig get involved? Uh, he's he's a high enough muckety-muck that he starts running his mouth about this after the announcement. And like I said, as nobody knows, or nobody's being reported very widely, Russia and China are fighting a war. And Alexander Haig is a general. So you know how generals who used to be generals are in the era of media talking heads, he has to say something about it. And as soon as he does, boy, does the, the, the Cartman hit the rotating air moving device. Okay. I say. got you. <laughs> and we'll be back and talk more of it in 30 seconds right here on Bill McLeod. Dave Bowman with us as Dave does history on Bill McLeod. Dave, before we go any further into the Al Haig and how he's getting into this thing with Kissinger, not lo- using a translator. Was he any kind of fluent in Chinese? Was was anybody with him any kind of fluent? 
Yeah, fluent is a is a nebulous term, Bill. Yeah. I mean, how many different dialects of Chinese are there? Mm-hmm. So I'm not really clear on that, to be honest with you. It's one of those areas that that they don't really talk a whole lot about, except that he didn't want to use a, a, a translator, an American translator, because he was afraid that they would get leaked. And he's probably right. They could have had a Chinese translator. But again, you know, you were talking yesterday about Doonesbury. This is one of the, that's a plot point in Doonesbury is that Honey, the the translator for Mao Zedong, Mm -hmm. is basically making up stuff when he's talking to Nixon because nobody can understand him. Right, right. So, got to go back to that, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, Al Haig, the former general, retired general, uh, opens his mouth and he tells the Chinese openly that the Russian threat to China and to America means that we have, quote, significant mutual interests, unquote, sharing information, intelligence. And one of the phrases he uses is, quote, otherwise countering Russian military aggression, unquote, which is the closest any U.S. official comes to actually admitting that there's a shooting war going on between China and Russia. China, they think that Al Haig is is bonkers. They think he's nuts. And it almost derails the whole thing. But even though they see Haig's comments as, quote, disingenuous and ignorant, they think he doesn't know anything about Chinese actual military capabilities, unquote. But they also see him as sincere. We do have significant mutual interests. So he becomes a useful fool? There you go. Okay. And so they kind of look at at Al Haig as, you know, I can imagine Kissinger going, wait, wait, he doesn't... he doesn't say he does, he's not in charge here. Okay. And Yet. so Joe and Lai issues the, the invitation, which Nixon accepts. And on this day, February 27, 28, depending on which side of the international dateline you're on, Nixon is getting ready to leave China after the visit, which has significant, you know, discussions. And they sign what's known as the Shanghai communique, which is, the basic theory of understanding between the United States and the People's Republic of China about those significant interests that we have. The main one which of which is intelligence sharing, and the Chinese really want early warning technology so that if the Russians decide to nuke them, they can detect it coming in early. And this, these are the kinds of things that they, they get. The night before it's signed, though, the American delegation in Peking is fighting amongst amongst itself because we have a treaty known as the Sino-American Defense Treaty between us and Taiwan. And this this communique, it actually says, quote, all Chinese on either side of the Taiwan Strait maintain that there is but one China, unquote, which is one of the most confusing sentences in the entirety of American foreign history i mean we're we're like what i mean how can chinese on both sides maintain that there's one china and have it make sense and and this is part of the problem and so inside the inside the american delegation there is a huge fight the day before this communique is issued about whether we should mention treaties that we have with south korea and japan and the philippines and all these other people or if we should just leave those out and Kissinger decides, you know, it's just easier just to leave it all out and not bring it up. But they left that sentence in there about all Chinese on either side of the Taiwan Strait maintain there's but one China. And this has caused 
you know, basically 50 years of confusion as to what exactly is our policy right down to today, where Joe Biden was asked a few months ago, will we defend Taiwan or not? He said, absolutely. But I don't know if anybody actually believes him or not. And that's, you know, you get to this point where it's like, well, did he really say that? Did he really, does he really mean what he said? The, the communique says that we want to expand economic and cultural contacts and that the normalization of, rela- of relations will contribute to the relaxation of tensions in Asia and around the world. China is particularly interested in Vietnam. They want us out of Vietnam, obviously. And they think that this, this normalization of things might help ease tensions with Vietnam. Of course, the problem is North Vietnam is actually a Russian ally. So are they trying to split Vietnam away from, and remember what will happen in 1979, China will invade Vietnam over all this stuff. So it's a really confusing communique, but it is the basis for our relationship with China for the last 50 years. Taiwan's not happy about it, but the U.S. tells Taiwan, hey, this shows that China wants peace with us more than it wants to own Taiwan. And that we think is very important. And we continue with Dave Does History. We'll let you in on our next segment if you want to weigh in on it. It's 321-768-1240 as we uh, move into the later 70s, more recent history. And us and China and Taiwan, they both agree there's only one China. But the question is, who's running it? And we're back in minutes with Dave Bowman. Free rocket launch from the Space Coast or around the globe. The Space Launch coverage page is on demand at WMMBAM.com. Powered by SpaceLaunchSchedule.com. Dave Bowman with us as Dave does history. Tuesdays at 8 on Bill Mick Live. By the way, links to Dave's podcast, the Dave, uh, plausibly live, the Dave Bowman Show. And um, what the frock? Well, you'll find those on the show page today at BillMick.com. Headline for the show page this morning is they're watching you, and we'll get into more of that probably tomorrow on the show. Nice to have you with us as Dave joins us as we're talking a little more recent history than we normally do, but it's still impacting events going on today, which is always a tie-in here. Dave, we're getting up to 78, 79 here. I'm out of high school by now. You're out of high school. I'm in the middle of high school, um, and and for years now, we've been we've been doing this whole thing with are there two Chinas? Are there one China? We can't say that there's two Chinas. And it all comes about because of this memo, this communique that Nixon signs with Zhou Enlai, which at least gives us the framework for an idea of discussions. Now, in 1979, Jimmy Carter, President Carter, decides to go ahead and fully recognize China as the legitimate government that it is. Uh, Again, Nixon had not done that. But in the process of doing this, he de-recognizes Taiwan. He, he basically says, Taiwan, you are what you are, but you are not China. He cancels the Sino-American Defense Treaty that we have with China, or with Taiwan, sorry. 
which is replaced by Congress by something called the Taiwan Relations Act, which is still in effect today, and may or may not commit us to to defending Taiwan. With that's unclear. It's yeah. I mean, we have a treaty called CETO, but then we have this Taiwan Relations Act, which limits how much aid we can give them. But it does say that we're committed to defending them, but then it gives some conditions for it. And so that's why that's why Biden was asked last year about would you defend Taiwan? And he, as at the, at the time, said absolutely, which was. I thought that he was just talking out of his butt, but in the process of doing that, he sent a message that may have been beneficial. None of this, none of this whole thing with the, the communique with what Jimmy Carter did clears up the whole issue with Taiwan. It leaves us in a position of, you know, do we know what we're doing here? Now, once upon a time, there was a, uh, a comment at a vice presidential debate. You probably remember this about Mr. Kennedy. I met Mr. Kennedy. You're no John Kennedy. Yeah, I met I met Dick Nixon. I was I was eight, but I did meet him. And what I would say is, uh, Mr. Biden, I met Nixon and you're no you're no Dick Nixon when it comes to this stuff. Dick Nixon was he was a genius when it came to foreign affairs and playing people against off each other. But because of what happened subsequently, I don't think people really recognize it. One of the things I remember about this whole thing, though, with the Sino with the Shanghai communique bill was I grew up in an era, and you did too, duck and cover drills were an almost everyday thing. Remember that? Actually, we didn't do them at the time when I got into school. Well, you were in West Virginia, so you guys had hills. Yeah. Where we were, you know, we had a major Air Force base and everything else. We did them all the time. But after this trip, where Nixon goes to China, those duck and cover drills stopped. Nixon's plan was detente. He wanted a... a, a a relaxation of the tensions between the Soviets and us and the Chinese and us. He achieved that, although how he achieved it with the Russians is a little more murky, but it happened around the same time. He announces detente is achieved. These things happen. And all of a sudden the world seems much more relaxed than it had in the sixties and the seventies. And I don't think, I don't think Nixon gets enough credit for that. But as the Vulcans say in their old Vulcan proverb, only Nixon could go to China. Mm-hmm. And he did. And it was this day in 1972 that he signed the Shanghai Communique. Let me ask you the perceptions of you growing up, because my perception was that the USSR was the big threat. That was what we had to worry about. If, if nukes were going to be thrown at each other, it was going to be us. China was a secondary thought in that discussion, at least in the, in the world I was growing up in. I think in general perception, that was the case, but here's the problem. Even the Russians recognized that Mao Zedong was, as their word was, nonchalant Mm -hmm. about the use of nuclear weapons. Um, I think that it was painted that way in a lot of, for a lot of reasons. Mostly because we had a lot more in common with the Russians than we did with the with the Chinese. Um, we we of course had the diplomatic break between uh, Chiang Kai Shek and and Mao Zedong, and there was a lot of Bill. I hate to put it this way. I hate to put it in these phrases, but people today will understand this. There was a lot of mentality about the 
the Asian bloc in general and this belief that that we couldn't trust them. The Manchurian well, candidate. Right. Whereas yeah. the Russians were, at, if nothing else, at least they were European. And so there was this mindset, I think, that, that, that I clearly remember about that. Yes, it was the Russians that we were concerned about. But should we have been concerned about the Chinese? Well, obviously, Nixon was. And he was obviously concerned about the Russians, too, which is part of this whole trip to, to China. And it's going to lead into next week's show. Um, mm -hmm. I said earlier on, it was possible to disappear for a little while. On this trip, Nixon disappears for a little while. And to this day, there is no official record of where he went or what he did. But there are hints about what he did. And it's intriguing that he announces the Shanghai communique and detente with the Soviets at almost the same time. So we're going to explore that some next week. Yes, we are. That'll be fun. I look forward to it. And we're back with Dave in just a minute. You want in here, 321-768-1240. Dave does history. It's a Tuesday, and this is Bill McLive. Dave Bowman with us doing a little bit of history on Bill McLive. Dave, let's get to the phones. Line one, you're up first with Dave. Tell me what's on your mind. Hey, Dave Bowman. Great discussion. I uh, This is Luis Mario Garcia calling from Cape Canaveral. Anyway, the... Um, uh, you know, at the time, I had the feeling, and I was in my early 20s, uh, and I had the feeling that, well, well Nixon had been attacked day and night for, for years, in, in the same way that uh, President uh, President Trump has been attacked day and night. But but I think even more so, there was this vicious thing going on. I think he, he, he wanted to open up, wanted to do something to appease the left in this country, to kind of quiet them down. Now, why? Why uh, Kissinger wanted to get involved in this, I don't know, although I know he made millions of dollars once it, once it was open. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's what I, that was my, my impression at the time. I'd gotten out of the Marine Corps uh, a year or two earlier, and, and I was looking at all of this, and, and, and I was a pro-Nixon guy. I still am. You know, I was a pro-Nixon, pro-Vietnam War guy. I still am. An anti-communist. So anyway, it was an interesting time for sure. So you think this was a move to appeasement, Mario? Let me get Dave's take on that. Dave. No, I don't. I don't think this was appeasement at all. This was detente, and the very fact that we refused to accept China's definition of of one China indicates that it wasn't appeasement. the 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 actual goal here was you go back to that significant mutual interests, and that mutual interest was splitting China off from from Russia, from the Soviets, who we were also trying to achieve detente with. And by splitting them apart, by, by reaching this detente with, with China and detente with the Russians, it really, I, I don't think people realize how much that changed the world. I mean, you know, we joke about the 80s and the nuclear cowboys and all that stuff, but until, until recent times, the fear of nuclear war is nothing today like it was in the late it, through the sixties and into the early seventies. And I think Nixon deserves a lot of that credit. And I don't think it was appeasement. I think he actually believed that by achieving a relationship with both of these countries by one way or another, it would help ease those tensions. And he did. Very good. We go to line two. Good morning. You're up next with Dave Bowman. Tell me what's on your mind. Hey, great topic, Dave. Uh, thanks for being here. This is Keith from Palm Bay. Um, in 
in the 82, I was in a, a Lance missile unit, a mobile uh, new capability missile, but uh, we were sister unit to the 82nd Airborne. They used to have people come in and train us um, in dressed from the 82nd Airborne, dressed in Russian uniforms, and teach us how to distinguish between stuff and propaganda and everything. And I could have vaguely remember back then they said China only had like 20 to 30 nuclear heads uh, missiles. What do they have now? And was that true back then? Do you happen to know? Significantly more now than, than they had back then. The, the problem with nuclear weapons, and this is a completely different subject for a completely different day that I have to caution everybody that anything I say here is my opinion. It's not based on anything other than open source intel. The problem with nuclear weapons is just because you build a nuke doesn't mean it's worth anything. You've got to be able to deliver it. And most of the Chinese delivery systems back in the 70s and well into the 80s were subpar and not capable of, of delivering accurate weapons. But I think that they have fixed that now. I, I think that's pretty obvious that this is the same thing we're watching with North Korea. So you have a nuke. If you can't land it somewhere, what good is it? Well, they're getting better and better at where they can land it. So those are the things to be concerned about. And it certainly was the things we were concerned. You're right. We weren't that concerned with China back in the early 80s. I was there too. Uh, but times change and we are changed by them. Let me take this back to Nixon for a minute, Dave. If, if, if I'm understanding what you're telling me about Richard Nixon, that you don't want to play a game of risk against him. I would. That he, uh, he gets the idea of the CIA and what goes on in the espionage world. Oh, Bill. Oh, Bill. That hang, you hang are, on, hang on. You're teasing next week. <laughs> Am I? Okay. Yes, you are. Um, what was his background before he became vice president, before he ran, lost, and then ran again and became the president? Won two landslide elections and what was his intelligence background? Well, he, was his a, military background? he was a congressman from California, and he had also been a naval officer during the Second World War. So from that, now I don't know what he was briefed on, what he wasn't briefed on, but remember he was very close with Alger Hiss. He was very much a vehement anti-communist. And right down to, you know, pulling pulling things out of uh, bricks to, to show that he'd caught communists. He was very much, he hated the communists. He hated communism. But he also recognized the fact that, you know, the, the real politic of the world is you got two major superpowers that have nuclear weapons that are communist. We need to achieve detente. We need to calm this down or there isn't going to be a tomorrow. And I think it speaks well of him that he was able to recognize that and proceed in that direction. Although in today's world, I don't know that he could do it today. I really don't because of the number one, there's no way to pull that travel off. But number two. You know the world today, even somebody on your own side. If they do something you don't like. It's out there. That's true. Dave, I look forward to next Tuesday. More Nixon ahead for us. I like that. Yeah. And we'll see you tomorrow for a wide open Wednesday. <laughs>